We're taking a momentary break from our study in First Thessalonians, and so we're looking at Holy Week and beginning today with Palm Sunday. And so we're going to be looking at two passages, Psalm 118 and then also Luke 19. But the majority of time we'll be spending in Psalm 118. So again, it's a, a little different approach this year. I mean, most people look at um, Palm Sunday as an opportunity to either focus on the reason of the, the palms and the coats being laid down. We look at Jesus upon the foal of a donkey and what that represents in regards to him being brought in as the king. We um, look at it as a preparation for him uh, to go as a sacrifice. And so we we come to a time where we want to, to begin to kind of maybe look at it from a different perspective from the Old Testament And so I want you to look at Psalm 118. We're going to look specifically at verses 25 through 29 and then flip over to Luke 19. So hear the word of the Lord. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. For blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. For the Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. So bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. For you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then turning over to Luke chapter 19, looking at verse, starting at verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, truly give us eyes to see the truth of the gospel, but more than just to see it, Lord, that we would grasp and apply it to our own lives, Lord, that the truths that we hear and begin to grasp and understand would affect our hearts so that we fall deeper in love with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we begin this holy week, a busy week, a distracting week, Lord, may we not lose sight of the necessity of your coming on Palm Sunday to give your life as a ransom for ours. So teach us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The first point we're going to look at is the idea of a procession. So what we have here is we have Hallel Psalms. Now Hallel Psalms are Psalms uh, 113 through 118. And they were songs that were sung and they produced joy and faith. Joy from the perspective because it gave joy for past miracles that God had accomplished on behalf of his people. So therefore, because God is faithful in the past, we have a future faithfulness to go to in regards to the future. Because he's faithful in the past, he'll be faithful in the future. 
And so the idea is that we understand that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And again, it's easy to say, hard to put into practice, isn't it? Now, all of us understand parades. We, we see them now. We have parades for homecoming. We have parades for holiday times. We have parades that celebrate great victories. Well, it's no different than what's happening here. Um, there's things that are happening in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament where there are processions that are going on, holiday pro- uh, processions and sung. These songs were being sung just like we have special songs during Christmas. We have songs that we sing for New Year. If you're Irish, you have songs that you sing during St. Patrick's Day. You pick a song at your high school for homecoming. You have all these things that you do because there is a reality that we sing a lot of times about the victories, about the things that are about to happen. And so here we have Passover. And so Passover is now happening. And so what's happening is that there's the sense of, um, there's the literal sense that's going on, but there's a bigger understanding that's also going on. So the literal understanding is there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of uh, sheep that are being led into Jerusalem. People from around in multiple countries surrounding are coming to Jerusalem, coming to the Mecca, the place to come and celebrate. And so these animals, and, and again, don't, don't think of these as just, think about the, the reality of what's happening here. If you're walking with thousands of thousands of thousands of sheep, it stinks. These are not nice animals. They're stinky, nasty animals. And if you're talking about thousands upon thousands upon thousands, there's a lot of manure. When we go to Ireland, up to Northern Ireland, and we, get, we catch that wind just right off of the, the uh, pastures of the lands of sheep and goats, you're just like, go, go down Apollo Avenue and let the wind catch the, the sewer treatment plant, catch it just right. Don't make this into something that it's not. Live in the reality of what's going on. Jesus is coming in as a king during this time period. And the, the reason why it's happening is because in Jeremiah 31, 33, sorry, and I want you to write this down because I want you to look at it later. But I think this is the connection that God does. Jeremiah 33, verses 10 and 11. Listen to the word. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say it is a waste without man or beast. So he's talking about Jerusalem. In the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, they are desolate. Without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of myrrh and the voice of gladness. Why? Because the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For, this is what God says, for I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. See, the people given up hope. They find themselves looking, and Jesus comes as that answer. God said, I will be the one who's going to go back and fill the desolate to take care, to restore all that was lost. Why? Because he gives us a love that will never let us go. Now that love is known as Hesed love, and we saw some of that back in First Samuel, and it's a, it's God's love, and it's a word that's almost untranslatable. 
And so we use words like covenant, loyal, loving kindness. But it's also translated like it is in in Psalm 118, steadfast love. God's steadfast love endures forever. Why? Despite all of our undeserving, despite all of our failures, his love will not let us go. And the question is, does that impact you? Do you rest in knowing that God the Father so loves you before time to time, loves you perfectly? He is unchanging. His love never falters in whether you're being good or bad. His love is perfect. And we grasp that knowing that he's faithfully giving that love and will faithfully give that love. And he shows up in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand that what's going on in this procession is something very, very important. But they're also celebrating in regards to the procession. It's not just a parade just to happen. They're talking about what happens in regards to slavery, to joy. They go from Egypt to Mount Zion. So again, he's trying to remind us of things that happen in regards to slavery. For those people, remember Egypt. Remember what it was like to be actual slaves. And he uses a statement in Psalm 118 where he says, what can man do to you? Now, if you're honest, you answer that question, man can do a lot. And it affects us. Man can imprison us. Man can take away our possessions. Man can harass us. He can abuse us. Man can even kill us. So there's a lot of things that we get caught up into. There's a lot of things that we don't say or we don't do because we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to be made fun of. We don't want to be, we don't want to lose our possessions. I don't want to lose my possessions. If God called you to a place of destitution, took everything from you. So why does God tell us in this psalm to rejoice. Even if all that stuff was to happen because he says, don't look to slavery, look to your freedom that you've been called to. See, with Christ, he says, you're alive. All these things mean nothing. Your freedom means nothing. Your possessions mean nothing. Your reputation means nothing. Your life means nothing in and of this world. Everyone in this room is going to die. It doesn't matter how many pills you take. It doesn't matter how many tracks you run on. It doesn't matter how many things you do to keep yourself alive. You inevitably and I will die. The question is, do we live? Because what God says, he has become, according to this this, um, psalm, he's become our strength. He has become our song. He has become our salvation. He has become everything to us, or so it should be. Now, there's another thing in regards to the psalm. is called a messianic psalm because it's talking about where the words speak about the, the Messiah. And listen, I want you to truly understand that, that this is probably the last song that Jesus sang here on earth. Hmm. Do you think we need to pay attention? See, the Hallel songs, again, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. Psalm, the first part of the psalms were sang in process to the Passover meal. 
during the meal. And then you went, and what does it say in the scripture? They went out to the Mount of Olives and sung a hymn. And it's probably this one right here. Now, that should, one, encourage us. But it should also make us ask the question, why was Jesus singing this song? What are the lessons for us that he gave to the disciples? And one of the things that it talks about in regards to Jesus himself that he had to listen, remind himself of, is that the people who were, should be rejoicing in regards to him being the cornerstone are the ones who reject him. And it's God, it's God who makes Jesus the chief cornerstone. And at this, people are going to stumble. And God is telling his son, son, these people are going to reject you. But I'm going to resurrect you. I'm going to make you the chief cornerstone for the church. And he encourages him further as he goes through and gives him and allows him to receive praise as the king. As he comes in on the donkey, he comes in as a kingly figure. Now again, we should recognize this because what's happening is that the, the people are crying out. And they're crying out from Psalm 118. They know this song. And so they see Jesus riding in, and so they start to cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna! Save us now! Hey, Jesus, save us now! Now again, they were mixed up. They were thinking politically, God, save us. Jesus comes in and says, I'm not going to save you politically. I'm going to do something greater. I'm going to save you spiritually. And so Jesus comes into these, to these words and the people, listen, the Pharisees and those of the religious people and the people later on begin to mock Jesus. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? If Jesus had saved himself, then we would not be saved. Jesus didn't save himself because he had to save us. And so these praises begin to, to go out. And again, it's, it's my fault that I didn't bring in palm branches for you, whatever. Otherwise, I would have shown you that. But listen, we get caught up, and we understand this. Because there are those of us, and I won't name names, but there are some people that go to college football games and sporting events. It might be that some ladies get crazy at different things. But we have no problem worshiping the question is what do we worship because there's a reality that again when some people go to football games those people who are seemingly controlled and quiet suddenly became raucous and overwhelming yeah wake up go do whatever you want to do do your chop do your gator chomp Do whatever Miami does. (laughs) Do your UCF sword thing, whatever it might be. And listen, the the amazing thing is we have no problem trying to outdo the other people around us. We're so loud. But you know what? We are so fickle as a people (laughs) that that same team that we can cry out for We leave early if the game is already out of whack. Those same people that we call the heroes, we begin to ask, is it time for them to go? These are the people that are dealing with Jesus. They're going around and they're taking their palms and they're waving the palms 
and they're waving their jackets and they're throwing them out. Jesus, come, walk over this. Because you're the king. We've been waiting for you. But in the course, the course of the week, crucify him. I hate him. He didn't do what I expected him to do. And so the reality is, is that Jesus, as he's being mocked, Jesus, as he comes to be, he has to hear the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Did you understand that Jesus had to hear these words of encouragement from his father? And if Jesus needs encouragement, how much more do we? Jesus, blessed are you because you come in the name of the Lord and you come to save those that are lost. There's a movie, Hacksaw Ridge, great movie, but it talks about the character as he's up on Hacksaw Ridge and he finds himself there um, trying to, to get the wounded down. And he gets to the place where he's lowing him by the rope down the cliff And he starts to say this to God, God, just one more. God, just one more. And I want you to catch this vision because I want you to begin to to see through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus stop and looking over Jerusalem in this section of his life and begin to weep? Because he says they are sheep without a shepherd. The field is white with harvest. Ask the Lord to send the workers. And so I want you to catch the vision of maybe trying to say, Lord, let me give the gospel present to just one more person. Just one more person today, Lord. Lord, let me be the one who comes in the name of the Lord to give the gospel presentation. I use this example um, quite often, but it's the starfish example. It's where a young boy goes out onto the beach and he sees a man who's going around and he's picking up starfish and he's throwing them back into the ocean. But there's thousands upon thousands of starfish that are out there. They're drying out and will die that day. And so the boy goes out and he says, why are you wasting your time? You'll never be able to throw all of them back into the ocean. Your efforts mean nothing. At which point the man picked up the starfish, threw it into the ocean, and said, well, it did to him. So I'm going to continue to pick up a starfish one at a time. How do you need an elephant? One bite at a time. Don't get overwhelmed with thinking you have to save thousands upon thousands of thousands of people. Go out there and go in the name of the Lord to one other person this week. Invite someone to church this week and ask that God would use you to do what Christ did. So they're singing these Hallel songs. Jesus comes, he understands, he's being encouraged by the word, but ultimately why? And it's to give thanks to the Lord. So the reality, what it says here about Jesus, it says, bind the festal sacrifice. So again, what's happening here is that there are, again, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sheep and lambs being led into Jerusalem. Why? Because it's Passover, and you have to take your lamb into your home for four days to represent you before it is crucified on your behalf. And so Jesus comes in as this festal sacrifice. And again, remember, and these people would have remembered about the story about Isaac, where he was taken. And remember, he goes with his father, 
And he looks at his dad and he says, hey, I see everything that's supposed to be here for the sacrifice except the sacrifice. And what does his dad say? The Lord will provide. Now for Isaac, he saw a substitute. The ram caught in the thicket that takes his place. But listen, for Jesus Christ, there is no substitute. Think about that. Jesus knows at this point he's walking in to die. And he's the only one who didn't have to. I like the movie Tombstone. And there's a a scene, a couple of scenes, but they're connected. One scene is where White Earp and his group are caught in a crossfire. And he gets to the place where he's caught off guard and he starts, it's the scene where he's like, no, no. And they like slow the movie down and he starts, he gets up in the middle while people are shooting guns all around him. He starts to kill people and stuff like that. And they end up winning this unwinnable scenario. But then he applies that later on in the movie after he gets called out by one of the fastest guns to come and to have one-on-one shootout. And he says, I've had a lot of, he goes, I didn't have any time to think about it before, but I've had plenty of time to think about it now. I can't win, can I? Now we can react to certain situations on the spur of the moment and we just react. But Jesus has had this opportunity to know that from the time, listen, from the time that he's just raised Lazarus from the dead, he's going to die and he's going to die the most horrible death. Not only that, that pain, listen, R.C. Sproul, I think, got it right. The physical pain of the cross and Jesus dying and the whipping and the crowns pale, pale in comparison to him being separated from his father on the cross. We don't understand hell. And so Jesus knew exactly what he was going to be the sacrifice for. And he comes and he gives his life as a sacrifice for us. He is our substitute. And so he's strengthened by this word. He's strengthened by this word. And he says, my God, he has to remind himself of these truths. He, he gives his Aaron's blessings in here. We hear it in our benedictions. He says, it is the light the light that is shining upon us because he's about to go into the darkest place. And so have you ever asked the question, why, why did Jesus tell the Pharisees that the stones would cry out if the disciples shut up? Have you ever thought about that? Now, there's, there's a weird song that I used to do in youth ministry, and I, I disliked it because you had to do movements to it. Not into that. But it was like, ain't no rock. Ain't no rock. Gonna cry in my place. As long as I'm alive, I'm gonna glorify his holy name. And then you had to do your branches. Ain't no tree. I was just like, ain't no tree. Gonna raise its branches. As long as I'm alive, I'm gonna glorify his name. Now why is that... Why is that such a weird song? Because I think most of us, or maybe some of us, some of you guys are way better than I am. I think sometimes I'm satisfied with the rock to cry out. The person of Jesus Christ, what we're called to do is to give him worship. Everything we are, everything that we have to him all the time. And if we stop, 
He is so worthy that creation itself will continue to sing. That's who Jesus is. And it's to that that God calls on. He says, son, do my will. Go and do my will. Go to the cross and save the lost. And how did Jesus go? Hebrews 12.2 tells us, We look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is Hesed love, a steadfast, faithful love that Jesus Christ gave. As we begin Holy Week, I want you to understand that this is the costliest love that was ever given. The costliest. So in the busyness of this week, slow down. Sing. Even as off-key as your pastor is. Don't let a rock cry out in your place. Don't let a tree wave his hands because you're unwilling to do so look to Christ fill be filled with his hesed love and remind yourself as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death you fear no evil for God is with you he's always been faithful and always will be faithful so walk tall walk sure and run to Jesus Christ.